Hello, everybody. Today you have Jake and Seth, and we're going to be discussing the 1994 sci-fi film directed by Roland Emmerich called Stargate, starring Kurt Russell, James Spader, and Jay Davidson. This movie was made on a budget of $55 million and grossed over $196 million, which is nearly 4x, so very, very successful. It also spawned, well, it never spawned a sequel, and it was originally intended to be one of a trilogy, but we'll talk about that later. It did spawn a number of successful uh, TV series, and it also, um, and that was actually in light or in spite of the fact that it only had a mixed reception. It was a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 5.4 average score, which I think is the closest correlation I've seen to Rotten Tomatoes actually hitting that average score. So it is the definition of a mixed film. But it was successful. It made a lot of money and it had a very small but dedicated fan base that really powered those shows um, with the old, the guy from MacGyver. Uh, but all I'll say is I remember seeing this film in theaters. Uh, I remember seeing it in theaters with my dad. I'm pretty sure it's in the Marinick Theater. I, uh, I liked it. For anyone outside of Westchester, New York, you'll have no idea what I'm talking about. But I, it gives me a bit of a nostalgia factor for this film. Uh, I remember seeing it in theaters and it definitely kind of had that event feeling to it. Uh, at the time, um, I'm going on and on. I liked it. I have a little bit of nostalgia for the memory of seeing my dad. So throwing it to you, Seth. Yeah, I mean, it was a similar experience for me. You know, I think this was one of the, you know uh, one of the early like live action movies I saw like in a movie theater, and it definitely felt like an event when I went to it. Um, it <laughs> it's funny having done a little bit of research on the film. It, it seemed like a lot of the actors and some of the people on the call thought it was going to be a big flop, and then I think it turned out. Just in terms of like business wise, I think it turned out being more successful than they thought. And then, like you said, it kind of spawned those shows. I've actually never seen the Stargate like SG One TV shows. I know that they were successful, but like I was always just like a Stargate movie fan. I'm um, right there yeah. with you. Just to clarify, that is one of the few shows I never got into. So I can't really speak into the mythology or how it plays into that. But that for anyone listening who is a fan of that, just know that Seth and I are not familiar. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and like, I mean, I could see how it, how it would translate pretty well to a show. It's the whole idea of like you can open up this portal and go to other places in the in the universe. And stuff. So, you know, I think it's a good idea to kind of transition it into a TV show. But yeah, I never never really got into the show. But um, yeah, I do feel like this was kind of the. I mean, Roland Emmerich <laughs> kind of a mixed bag overall in terms of his movies, and I think like Stargate is a perfect um, kind of like concentration of that, where it's like. There's some good and some bad, you know, there's some epic movie making involved. There's also kind of like some sticky stuff that like is kind of weird uh, when you really like kind of like focus on it a little bit. And, you know, but I think overall, like I did it, like I enjoyed the movie when I was a kid and I did like enjoy it for the most part. I'm like rewatching it. I mean, you can kind of pick it, pick it apart and like critique it, I think, in a lot of different places. Um, I know this was like his second movie with Kurt Russell. I think I think Universal Soldier was like the first one he did with him. Have you like seen Kurt that, Russell. by the way? I have seen Universal. Me Soldier. too. Me too. That that's it's like a B movie. I would say it's a fine B movie, but not great. Yeah, a fine B movie. Uh, yeah, for for both Russell and Rick, I think. Um, but I like you know. I think this was the one right before Independence Day, and so this kind of gave Emmerich that like step into like, oh, I've made a successful movie, and now I can go even bigger. And Independence Day again, you know, great epic movie making, but also some creepy stuff going on in the movie that you could easily critique. And so I always kind of think he's like a, a bit of one of those mixed bag directors where it's like 
Yeah, I, like, you know, I enjoy a popcorn movie as much as anybody else, but at the same time, it's never going to be, like, a knock your socks off, like, you know, this is going to go on my top ten movies or something like that. It's, I agree with you on Roland Emmerich. I think you're, I agree. I think you're, you're being a little generous sometimes. It's like, uh, but the only thing I'd say is, but you're right. You nailed it perfectly. Um, Cause the things in this film that are good are very good. And then the things that aren't are sometimes you just like roll your head, um, right. roll your eyes, I should say. But with that being said, I, I couldn't agree more. And We've seen, you and I are both familiar with the Chariot of the Gods mythology, and we've seen it like try to be introduced. It's it's become very in vogue in the last 20 years, whether it's the Alien Prometheus series. It, everyone's tapped into that, or it's a lot more common than it used to be. But looking back on this, I have to give it credit. It, they, they incorporate the mythology well in what was a pretty subtle way. It's They, they really just take it for that basic concept and apply it. And... I give him credit for that because the movie does have some bigger, not to make it sound like it's like a thesis on physics or anything, but there's some bigger concepts in it. Just the idea of the chariots of the gods. It's a, he does a good job handling that. Uh, but the one thing I that did stick out to me this time, and I might be being a little critical here, but I was very disappointed with, how they chose to depict the alien world that they went to, like making it just the same as ancient Egypt. And like, they're still wearing like the same rags and like they have the same type, like they, they had that crazy looking animal or beast of burden that looked different. But outside of that, it just felt very, felt like there was a lack of creativity. It just felt like a missed opportunity for me. Um, world yeah, building I is a very difficult that. thing to do. Didn't think they did a great job of it here. Like, that, I'll leave it at that. There are other gripes, but that was the one I thing. That, like, I think that the, the inherent concept of the movie, where it's like we don't really know, like how the you know the pyramid of, of Giza was really built, and like sure, there's this whole alien theory to it, and they kind of take that and just kind of run with it, and then it's like, oh, you know, there's actually this portal where you can, you know, traverse uh, the universe and, and like go to this other world, and their kind of explanation is sort of like, well, in, in on Earth, you know, we had uh, we had written communication and that's how humans became smarter and overthrew the pharaohs and then they're like well that's why in the other world they outlawed uh, like all old writing and stuff like that and that's why they've kind of stayed you know uh under you know control of, of like this pharaoh and stuff and so like, i i definitely agree with you where it's like that's a little thin to just kind of be like well there's no difference like this world is still just kind of like you know 5000 bc egypt basically and I, it did, like, there were definitely times in the movie where I was like, man, I wonder what people from Egypt, like, think of this movie. And, like, I did, like, there's a few times where it's, like, the cultural kind of depiction of these people feels a little cartoonish, I guess I would say. I mean, it, it's not like it's Aladdin or something, but it's just kind of, like, it's a little cringeworthy at times. That was, yeah, that, per usual, you you put a more eloquent touch on, on one of my critiques. Yeah, it was just, at times, it, it... I didn't feel like I was watching Birth of a Nation. The uh, like, it wasn't like, oh, this is clear propaganda or anything. But there were times where I was like, this feels a little lazy. Like it just, like, yeah. but, but, didn't mean to go into the gripe section. But that was just one of the things that that stood that stood out to me. And the reason I, and we just talked talking about Roland Emmerich. I, this was clearly he learned from this film for Independence Day. As you said, it's a bit of a mixed bag. But I feel like in Independence Day, the one 
the one thing that it really has, and a lot of his a lot of his films go for what I consider like an amusement park feel, and that can be an insult, but in the right hands, it's not. Like if it's an event movie, just think of like a big monster movie, or like or even a horror film to me is like an event or experience. It's, it's just it is not necessarily about telling you the best story. It's about trying to get certain feels out of you, like at the right moment. Like that's a, a pretty basic way to look at it. And for his films, like comparing this to Independence Day, they're both dealing with some similar concepts, uh, or at least I guess in broad strokes, aliens attacking the world, want to destroy the world, yada, 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 humans need to save them. But the one thing that Independence Day has is that like it has a momentum that like it's much faster. It initiate it brings in the aliens quickly and it just like rolls through. And honestly, after watching this, um, some of the gripes I had thinking of, of Independence Day, I just kept being like, well, he learned like he he introduces the aliens quicker. And also he gives more background with them, with the whole uh, Area 51 Roswell scene. Like I not to talk about Independence Day, but just some of the there are gaps in the storytelling here. Um, and it felt like he learned from them from Independence Day. And the other thing that stuck out to me is it felt like uh, Ridley Scott learned nothing when he made his Prometheus because they like, it has all the same vague gaps that this film had in some of the philosophy. But I, I digress. I digress. I will bring it back. I agree with that. I mean, yeah, it's like there are just things in the movie like, um, you know, the fact that this uh, – the thing I really kind of thought about the most was like, you know, at the end of the movie, the, the Pharaoh uh, or, or like the alien, whatever you want to call him, He's got a few like bodyguard type people that, that have these sophisticated weapons um, and they kind of keep everybody else in check because they're basically, you know, in rags and don't really have any way to defend themselves. But I was kind of like, you know, just in relation to the population of the people you're kind of overlording on, why not build a little bit bigger of an army just in case they do kind of organize? It's like maybe have more than four to five people. Like, you know, get, get 50 to 100 people and make sure you're actually secure here. What's funny is I, I, that occurred to me too. Well, my thought was, one, you should have more people. Second, I don't think your weapons are that good. If machine guns are taking down your ships, like if eight, if, uh, if eight soldiers can carry enough weapons to overthrow your planet conquering like henchmen, it, it's not enough. You need more. But yeah. what was funny, I don't, I don't say funny. I shouldn't say funny. It's not a funny topic. But what occurred to me was... I remember learning about the conquistadors and like they described like, oh, with a ship of 130 men, Cortez conquered this empire. But the hit, that's the Spanish history because they forgot to leave out the reason they were able to conquer an entire civilization of 130 people is because they were aided by a bunch of rebels, like the overlords, like whenever the conquistadors, like in all those battles, they had allies with them. And so the idea being that like, I think they were playing on that conquistador mentality or that, again, this is like 25 years ago. So maybe that, I don't know if academia was at the same place. And it was like, just, they wanted that idea of a couple shiny men overruling like this massive horde. Cause that, that's an evocative image. And it's like very, but at the same time to your, it doesn't match the reality of what really happened. And then even, even though that's an evocative image and compelling image, when you really just like process it for a minute, it's like, you know, he could really only get two of them before the another 30 ripped him to pieces. Like, it's just a sheer, it's the same reason why, like, in the wild, like, the, a predator picks off one and goes after the weakest. Like, it's scary when you're looking at a horde of lemmings or, or people, whatever it may be. Right, yeah, yeah. It's just, 
it's just there, there's some, like a little inconsistent logic there with the way it's kind of set up. Even though, like, I agree with you, like optically, it's supposed to be this thing where it's like it's very few amount of people kind of ruling over this large group because of their you know sophistication or whatever. I I, I think where the movie really works is kind of like like you said, it's, it's when you really like you're on that ride, and you know the first time they unlock the Stargate is like a nice moment, and it's like you know James Spader decodes all these like hieroglyphics and it's like okay i guess i buy that this like kind of quack <laughs> egyptologist is able to like you know he's like he figured out what you guys could do in five years two weeks it's like all right like, <laughs> I, it's funny to me too i think richard kind at one point is like no that symbol's not on the thing and it's like there's only 30 symbols on the thing and i'm sure over the 10 years you've looked at all, <laughs> all these symbols over and over again but it's like okay so you know spader cracks the code they open the Stargate, and like that moment when they're first walking through it, I do think is a really good moment. And you know, it's just kind of, it's before like the Matrix and stuff like that, and so that idea of just kind of like going through the portal into another world, and you don't know what's on the other side. It's just a nice, exciting moment, and then when they do go through it, I do think the images of like actually going through the wormhole, and they kind of do a, a faux Star Wars, like, you know, stars coming at you type of thing, and there's a little 2001 Space Odyssey in there as well, but that whole moment and then getting to the other side, I just thought was cool. I remember being cool in the movie theater. And then, you know, like you said, it's like, I'm, a, I'm slightly disappointed <laughs> at the alien world and how it's not super different from ours, other than them having like odd camel elephant type creatures. Um, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of room to do, be a little more creative with that other world. But at the same time, like the movie works because he sets up all those like moments. You know, the first time they see that city is also like a good mm -hmm. moment. The first time the alien ship like lands on the pyramid is yes. nice, and so it's like I think he does good buildups to like the the big plot points, but all the little details he kind of mucks up a little bit. <laughs> I, I'd say that's a I would say that's fair, and you actually touched on one of my favorite scenes in the whole film, and it reminded me it was one of the it was one of the most resonant aspects or scenes from the film that I remember seeing it the first time, and it stuck with me was when they're in that new world and. The, the alien ship comes and lands on the temple and everything goes dark and it's this horror film. You haven't seen, the, I don't know what they call them, but like the guardsmen, like it, they look like the Egyptian gods and you and you just see the Marines get picked off one by one. Now, he, he, he tries to do an aliens type introduction for these Marines. I think they really did, he, he didn't do a good job. First of all, French Stewart gets the most FaceTime and French Stewart is the crazy uncle from Third Rock from the Sun. And he wasn't like McHale's Navy. He's not the guy you want to be the face of your like grunts or, but, but. Um, I, I, I had totally forgotten French Stewart was in the movie. And I, I literally, I literally uh, started laughing when I realized he was supposed to be one of the primary grunts. Cause that's a little bit of an odd casting choice. I agree. It's like, you could have Bill Cax, like Bill Paxton in that role in Aliens is, oh, he's a little offbeat, but he's still a big dude. Like he can still, he still looks like he could be a Marine and he's also funny, but French Stewart is not French Stewart is not comedic relief in this. <laughs> Those guys, yeah, they're, they're kind of like razzing James Spader in the beginning. They're like pissed off at him that he can't figure out how to get him back home. And like they, they use him as like the whipping boy. But it's like, I, I agree that like those soldiers, I think, could have been a little, a little more salt of the earthy kind of, you know, just make them a little rougher around the edges. <laughs> also, like I just wasn't outside of Kurt Russell and his number two. They just didn't seem like very good Marines. Like they were just like grabbing ass. Like they wouldn't be the guys I would send over to a new world to possibly wipe yeah. out an enemy. But I digress. Be like, yeah, you're totally right. It's like this should be the, 
the crop, the cream of the crop going out to this like outer space world here. Like, and one thing I will say about that though is Kurt Russell is the colonel in this. Incredible. I think this is one of the best Kurt Russell action scenes. Like, I really think th- this is a less is more. Like, he doesn't have a lot of lines. He's in a lot of scenes, but he's trying to communicate a lot. Um, first of all, the background of the character, the death of his son with like gun violence, so heavy. Totally forgot about that. Then, like, also probably not. Again, this movie was successful, but not the way I would have written it. But like, it, it gives the character a very heavy aspect, and um, it, it also makes sense. It, he's basically spending the rest of his film trying to do something. Like, he wants to give his life meaning, or he's just trying to find some type of purpose now that he's lost his son, and that plays into kind of his redemption, their hero arc at the end. Um, but I, I really thought he was great, and the reason I'm bringing him up is because can we talk about Spader for a minute? i think he was a miscast here like i get they're going for they want the nerdy the nerdy likable guy like think of your ross from friends a little ahead of their time i think it's actually before ross came out but my problem with spader is that to fill that role you need to be like funnier or more likable and he's not really either like he's not like he he's quirky. He's great as a villain. Like he's a leading man villain, but like he's I, not. Well, yeah, I was gonna say, like you know to me James Spader is usually a character actor. He's mm-hmm. usually a supporting actor, and it, it was odd to me that he was the protagonist of the movie. And so I don't know if it's so much of the miscast as much as like why don't we just make Kurt Russell the protagonist and have Spader be like the side scientist character. Or, you know, I think there could have been a, a recalibration there just in terms of like, it, I just thought it was odd that Spader was the protag. And it's like, I agree with you. He's not, he's not like comically great. He, I mean, he's just kind of a, I mean, he, <laughs> he, you're not fully rooting for him. I mean, I guess you're kind of involved a little bit with his weird romance with the girl from the other planet kind of stuff, but it's just. Uh, you know, even in the beginning where he kind of like messes up his speech and like it's supposed to kind of come off kind of comedically. I agree. I mean, you could have gotten somebody funnier in that role, I guess, and kind of dialed up the comedy aspect of it. Or I think you could have just made him the supporting character and made the Russell character the protagonist. But there's a little bit of an odd. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's, there's something just off with, with kind of following him as your protagonist. It was just I, and I didn't love the blooming romance between him and Shari. Her name is Nili Avital. Like I got no chemistry there. Um, honestly, the only person I thought he had any chemistry with was was Russell, and that I was giving more credit to Kurt Russell. Um, but I'm not. He's not terrible. He's not bad. He just he's not. He didn't hook me. No, yeah. I actually. So I don't know if uh, if you'll agree with this. I actually think the best performance in the movie was Jay Davidson. Who's really not in a lot of movies? Um, that person, uh, he, he was like in the Crying Game. They retired from this. acting after. He, or, excuse me, he retired from oh, acting after this. Yeah, it's like I've only known that person from two movies, but I actually think his performance um, is really good. He kind of gives uh, again, it's like kind of an androgynous role, and it's like I think he comes off menacing. He also comes off as like, yeah, like is this a man or a woman, or is it just like an alien? Like he's able to kind of do a lot. Again, not a lot of lines are like also speaking in like ancient Egyptian dialect for most of the movie, but just kind of a memorable, um, just kind of imagery for me watching that person act. I like there. They do a good job. Talk about doing a lot with a little. It's a very physical role in terms of having like experience things 
expressed through your face. It's also speaking what I assume is ancient Egyptian, like most of the dialogue, if not all the dialogue is in a dead language. Uh, but I, they do a great job. And I, I remember seeing this film being younger and being like, I can't wait to see what Jay, like that actor, or I also wasn't sure if it was an actor or an actress. I'm also not sure yeah. what the preferred pronoun is. So if I'm messing that up, apologies. Yeah. Uh, then like 10 years later, I found out they had retired after that movie. Uh, and also you're right, looking at these notes, we don't need to go through it now, but um, yeah, I, as we were talking, I was just on the Wikipedia page. It seems like every single actor thought this was going to be a bust. Like Jay Davidson yeah. demanded a million just to do it, which was a big asking price. Then only a few people were getting that type of money. And Spader said he took it, even though he thought it was going to be a bust because he thought it would be a wild adventure. Like it's the, with all that in mind. Spader took it for the paycheck, you know? Yeah. And like with that in mind, it's like uh, kudos to Emmerich for taking what was clearly something. I'm assuming it was less than the sum of its parts on paper. And he's he was able to yeah. really kind of cobble something together here. Wait, well, I'm sorry. One more note, because I just I apologize. I this. I was laughing. We were talking about like the the linguistical, like the the symbol, the mystery of the symbols and the linguistics. It reminded me of Arrival, and just how we we recently talked about how hard it is to make like an intellectual pursuit like seem intriguing on screen. And right. I know we kind of came. I thought Arrival was effective. It sounds like I don't think you thought it was effective in this film. I didn't. I knew it took a while to get going, but I did not realize how long it took them. Like you could have cut out the first thirty minutes and just opened with the Stargate opening. I found it so boring. It's like, oh, the symbol. Like I felt like Richard Kind. Like that symbol wasn't in the first thirty. It's like we haven't. I haven't heard about the symbol in the first thirty minutes, and it's the key to everything. Like great. Okay. Like okay. Like uh, whatever. Like just get me to the get me to the aliens. I want to see Ra. I want to see the Anubis. <laughs> not intriguing enough that they need to spend as much time on it as they do and it's like yeah like uh, two of the things spader cries is like oh the symbols on the inside are actually constellations and it's not really hieroglyphics and they're like oh we never thought of that and it's like you guys spent 10 years on this what were you doing and I'm, yeah, I'm where like, do you Richard think the aliens like, came from <laughs> <laughs> and it's like uh, you know, it's supposed to be the, like these breakthrough moments where you're like, I, I mean, I agree. I don't think it hits the, quite the way that Emmerich wants it to. And so like the intellectual stuff in the beginning, I agree, that could be chopped up and you could get us into the Stargate a lot sooner. Um, <laughs> yeah. One of the things I also thought, like the, the bodyguards, you know, the people that kind of look mm -hmm. like, you know, Egyptian gods and whatnot. I actually thought I would have kept them because it's like on the first watch, you actually don't know if they're people or not and i would have kept it that way a little bit longer i think because i think it's a lot more effective when it's like oh are these like cat-like bird-like creatures that are like aliens that are ruling over the people and i think i mean for the people there they never actually see them as humans and i think you know that's a big reason why again why they're kind of kept under control and stuff and so i just thought that was more effective when you didn't realize that they were human beings at first you know, like there's all you had a lot more fear of them before they kind of do that reveal, it's like, oh, they're actually humans with like this armor that they kind of put over their heads. I actually had a question too. This is something I've always been curious about, and it seems like I was wrong. I thought that the alien took some of the Marines and were able to like brain and brainwash them into being some of the guards. That subplot was totally lost on me. I just confused one of the soldiers and one of the guards. Um, but I, I had, I thought that was a concept in this movie for so long, 
And like, I thought that was how the alien, he would just basically take humans and like corrupt them or brainwash them. Um, that would be, I, I enjoy that concept. I'm not sure that's actually going on in the movie. It's not, it's definitely not. I watched it looking for it. And the whole time I'm like, I really, again, I know I always do this. I'm, I'm not a writer. I'm not here to rewrite it, but I'm like, I really wish they'd done that. I felt like that had such a more interesting wrinkle because I thought at the end, I always thought it was Kurt Russell having to kill when he was fighting the guards. I thought it was like one of his own men. And I just thought, okay, well, I won't go down that path. But I think that would be a good wrinkle. I, I, I would have, I would green like that part. Uh, I do. The, the one card that um, obviously stands out is a young Jumon Hunshui. Pronouncing that right? Yeah, and it's like one of his first movies. And even back then, he clearly, I mean, physically and both his acting, very high level, even in the small part, I thought he did a good job. He's great. And I'm just going to say, I love him. I think he yeah. is like, he, I don't even think he's a line in this film. He is such a great actor. And let's just call Spitch Spit. He's a tall drink of water, too. Not too bad to look at. Men or the ladies, whatever you want, whatever you're into. He's, he's a handsome man. But no, I loved him in this. And I was actually so. I mean, well casted as like one of these Egyptian bodyguards because he just, he looks the part. He looks like he would have been alive in that era or something. You know, he's just uh, agreed. Very good kind of find for, I mean, I think Amistad's only like a year or two later when he kind of breaks out with Spielberg. And so. Kind of a nice find for Emmerich to, you know, cast him in that kind of supporting role. Definitely. I mean, if you looking at this, outside of Russell, he's probably had the best film career of anyone in this film. I mean, I like I like Spader's movies. You know, uh, I think Spader had a good run in the 80s. You know, he's, he's in Wall Street. He's in some of those uh, Brad Pack movies. That's true. But, I, I'm... I'm, you, you know, I've got that uh, Marvel skew to me. And you got Jimon Hansu. He's been in, like, the D... He was in, um... You know what? You could throw him up there. But he's up there. He's competing with those guys. Yeah, see, I think of Spader. I think of, like, Pretty in Pink and Wall Street. But I can see how, like, he's in these Marvel movies now. <laughs> and he was... I'm also thinking of Blood Diamond. Oh, yeah. Blood Diamond's a good movie. Yeah. And, yeah, Hansui's really good in that movie, too. He's got such a great... Um, this isn't a Hansui pod, but he's got such a great resume... We should do a we should do like a little thing about him once. Uh, if no one can tell, I've got a bit of a man crush on the guy. So <laughs> there's no problem. He's a good looking fella. I liked him. I, I can't remember now. I'm blanking on which film. I, oh, Gladiator. Ever since Gladiator, oh, yeah. I've been yeah. like this guy. He's my guy. Yeah. And have one last one last one last note. Papa Midnight and Constantine. He's incredible. Oh. <laughs> Great. He's uh, got some good yeah. That's a good one. He's like uh he's sneaky. He's been in a lot of lot, lot of good movies. All right, I'm sorry. I that, totally yeah. took us off track there. <laughs> but good good call. He was he's a it was a fun little treat seeing him in this. Okay. Yeah, so I was going to ask like do you think for Emmerich like I guess I kind of feel like Stargate and Independence Day is kind of his peak for me. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of his other stuff. You know, I know he did like a Godzilla movie. Uh, I think he did a couple other. Uh, let me look at his. Uh, at his uh, I, I can tell you, I got, I got it pulled up here. Um, he's had an interesting. I, I, I could. I think I could look at this at, and I would say this is probably his peak, this two year gap. And I think you could say it ends with Godzilla. Even though he bounced, bet bounces back. Um, oh, I forgot he did the Patriot. You know that that might be his best movie, actually. I like that could be, but this is if I'm looking at it and I'm him though. White House Down was a big success, and this film wasn't. 
or at least it didn't make a ton of money, but Stonewall, like, I wonder if as a movie maker, like that's probably his most dramatic Oscar. I, I don't know if it won anything, but, and now, and he followed that followed up Stonewall with Independence Day resurgence. So interesting switch in subject matter for the guy. No, yeah, I, I think it's gotta be Stargate Independence Day, especially with his yeah. like needle. Like he, he had a he had two of the hottest films and also like, I feel like at that point, this is after Jurassic Park, but this is like the beginning of the sci-fi, like the dawning of the sci-fi age, like with the bigger budgets and like making it ten poles instead of just offbeat, like offbeat, quirky movies. I was, yeah, I was, but you know, Men in Black wasn't too far away from these movies. Also, I do feel like there was kind of this resurgence of like mainstream sci-fi movies slash action movies and stuff. And yeah, he's kind of you know at the forefront of that. Um, but yeah, just kind of a. I mean, I don't think he was ever going for, like, to make Oscars. I think he was kind of going for more of, like, a James Cameron-type career. And, like, in that respect, I do think that, like, you know, Cameron and Michael Bay are probably a little more successful at what they do than, than Emmerich is. I mean, Emmerich's just kind of a... If you're in the right mood, like, if I'm in a certain mood, Independence Day is a fun movie to watch. Like, I won't, you know, it's a great, you know, you get your popcorn, you just you turn off your brain for a little bit and you just enjoy it. And so it's, like... He's kind of going for a certain thing that um, it's just kind of pure entertainment, I guess. And it, it's not meant to make you be super critical of anything. But at the same time, it's so easy to kind of pick pick apart his movies. <laughs> yeah. like I, To your point about like that, the needle he's trying to thread. Yeah. I was giving him a hard time for not diving into some of the or answering some of the bigger questions. I have, with that being said, I have no doubt in my mind, he wasn't making this film. His goal wasn't people to walk out and think, wow, were the pyramids really made by aliens? He wanted people to walk out and say, wow, did you see when that guy got his head chopped off by the portal? It's like, and that, like, that, it, like, he, it's a, he wanted to go for the blockbuster. So, well, he wanted Independence Day not Space Odyssey 2001, which is yeah, exactly. not the best parallel because he hadn't made Independence Day yet, but that was clearly, to your point, he wanted spectacle. He did not want a philosophy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it's like, you know, I, I do think, you know, you mentioned the Ridley Scott, the Prometheus movies. I think he kind of got a little caught in the middle between like, am I just trying to make a good horror movie or am I trying to do something philosophical? And it's like, he kind of muddles that up in that movie, I think, whereas like, if you watch Alien, you know, that's a great horror movie, just as a horror movie. And then it's also really interesting on a couple different levels, you know, just in terms of, like, the female lead and, like, uh, you know, the, the android uh, that, that he presents in that movie and stuff. And so I think, like, it's much more simplified in Alien. And then, like, when he's doing, like, Prometheus, he's just, like, it's way too all over the place. And he doesn't – it's like, are you doing this or are you doing that? And it's like you're, you're not blending the things together the same way you did, you know, back in the 70s. And we'll do a pod about that at some point. But the last thing, I, I will give him some credit. I don't know if it, he had a lot of control, so it could have been his meddling as a producer. But they had a script ready to go that was basically what everyone wanted. It tied into the first alien. It answered, it filled out, like it answered more of the mythology behind them. It filled out their interactions with human history. And then they brought in Damon Lindelof who I now love again after the Watchmen series, but who I hated for a long time. And one of the reasons of this film, they brought Damon Lindelof in, one of the guys behind Lost. And what his big takeaway was, why don't you save some good stuff for the sequel? 
And so they I cut out. A, yeah, you, a, you wanted a lot more mystery and ambiguity involved. And I do think that that took away from like what a lot of the, the fans of that franchise wanted, which is like what you were like a direct connection to the first movie and like a more uh, clear explanation of the mythology. Where, and like what they did was way more ambiguous and just kind of left you with more questions than it answered. And I, I don't think anyone was happy with that. And it was also just the choices were so weird. It was set up to be the the moon but they just said it was a different moon and then you leave the film being like yeah it's basically all so you can go see the next few films which, which were even worse we'll save that for another time but the other thing i'll say is in their in his defense the studio also wanted to sell new toys so they wanted new aliens and they didn't so like at the last minute they were like well we don't want it connected to the old aliens we got all right. I, 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 I digress. Um, we can bring it back here. But it is important to talk about this because all these are connected. It's like this is part of that yeah. sci-fi canon. And it was it came after and in the midst of aliens. Uh, and it's they all affect and influence each other. Agreed. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm already, yeah, I think we kind of hit it. It's like he, he's really just going for the spectacle of it. Um, I agree with you. I think Russell is a better performance than Spader, although I do think that that, that villain character um, kind of stole the movie for me a little bit, even though, you know, they're not in it for the entire thing. I, I agree. It's one of those less is more, too. It's like, it, and like, yeah. talk, I am intrigued by that character. I would yeah. like to know more about that character, and at the same time, it's, this is like the art versus science thing. They thread that needle. They balance it perfectly. There's enough where I can like grasp the character. I feel like I understand it enough to have to like him, to like him, it, the alien. And at the same time, it's like I'm still one of the things I like is how intrigued I am and, and how much more I want to know. Another thing, I mean, again, this is just kind of nitpicking, but it didn't totally make sense to me. It's like if there was this big uh, like overthrow on Earth in terms of people like you know taking, you know, not letting the pharaohs rule them anymore or whatever. I think there's a little bit of allusion to, to Moses there and whatnot, but if they were overthrown on Earth and so the alien goes back through the Stargate to his other planet to, like, rule his people and not let them do writing or anything, why is the Stargate still there? Why is the, why would you leave this door open to Earth? Um, I can actually answer that. That was, okay. uh, that was part, there was a deleted scene, and it's, I think it's part of the director's cut. They buried it. So there's a scene in the beginning when they first, like at that dig, when they, when the little girl, at that opening dig, when they find the Stargate, one of the things they first find is they find a couple of those buried guards. And okay. so, and so the idea is that they buried it and the alien kept trying oh, to send no, his. I'm asking, why is the Stargate there on the other planet? Like, why would you leave the door open to that planet if they overthrew you on Earth? Because they weren't scared of the humans and they wanted to get back in. So like they, they still wanted to use that door to get in and they kept trying to. I also think this is just pure speculation, but now that we're talking about it, they move pretty quickly. I, I have no idea what their travel time is like or the mileage is like on those uh, inter, interstellar spaceships. But it, I kind of got the feeling that they were waiting for them, that like when they came through the door, like it's within a few hours they're there and they're like, they get them that night. They don't even last a full day before they, they get them. So it's, I guess I hear what you're saying, but this is the other thing. The aliens seemed really surprised about the nuclear bomb. So I think it was more so like they weren't looking at it as they were leaving a back door open. I think they were looking at it as they were leaving a mousetrap open. 
like I see. like yeah, coming like gonna, yeah yeah you're probably right about that like te- like yeah. almost, like almost tempting them like come back like we like dare you. One other question for you: um, Why is that uh, that uh, that Pharaoh character? Why is he surrounded by young, scantily clad children? <laughs> that is a great question. I my first thought is the just that defense, like you can't launch an attack against them if he's surrounded by the kids. Uh, like right. the, yeah, there's the, that moment where they kind of like do a human shield around him. The, I'm thinking of Indiana Jones logic when he uses the, the kids and the monkey to get out of the uh, the way. Um, but at the same time, like we're talking about this, I think you can make. I know we just said Roland Emmerich isn't going for like deeper messages, but at the same time, like there could be a deeper message there, just about power and and innocence and like what. Yeah, and I know that like that that alien's trying to like stay alive forever or kind of achieve immortality, and so it seemed like there was some kind of like usurping the, the youth or something like that. But he also has that really cool tomb that seems to just heal all wounds, and uh, that was something that's like if I'm the like the Kurt Russell and Spader character, it's like we want to bring that thing back to earth so that we can just heal people for all. Like, I don't know how that thing worked, but it was pretty cool. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not critiquing it because of this, but just like taking a step back. Yeah. You'd think there are a couple things that they would want to pocket from that. Like, yeah, maybe you can't get the sarcophagus through, but I feel like they didn't take any of the weapons, like, or even yeah. the cool headpiece where, where yeah. the massive like helmets would come out of nowhere. But I, I'm not critiquing, but. I know I also criticized some of their technology earlier. They did have some good tech. It would be interesting to know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, it's like uh, also like all the people there are kind of mining this um, substance or something that's uh, that, like, uh, and like the, the Pharaoh at one point is like, I'm going to add that to the nuclear bomb and send it back to Earth and mm-hmm. it'll increase it a hundredfold. I wasn't fully sure of how that stuff they were mining really worked, but it, it seemed like vibranium or something where it just made everything more advanced. So this actually plays into the ancient alien or chariot of the gods mythology. It's the idea that um, it, there's an idea that there is used to be a mineral. There's a mineral or element that's essential to interstellar space travel that the U.S. used to be about the U.S. The Earth used to be abundant in, but that was mined thousands of years ago. And that's why the aliens left. And that's why they don't come around anymore because like if they came they drilled all the oil and they left why would you ever come back if you only want oil like and so i'm not not saying i believe that but there's the idea and it's almost like spice that's again we talked we talked about doing the other day similar to spice and that there's just there's something um and building on that mythology now how it works it's like it's part of the mystery it's how can we know what's missing if we don't remember what it was like it yeah. is like are we looking for a mineral that yeah. doesn't exist or without going too deep the other idea is that the minerals that they wanted were gold because gold is actually really important it's a great uh, semiconductor and it's actually used in a lot of obviously outside of the, the simple value of gold um, it has a lot of properties when it comes to conducting electricity that makes it an excellent conductor so it has a ton, a ton of functional value in addition to just the fashion value so there's also the idea that that mineral, magic mineral, quote unquote, is gold. And that is why thousands of years, after thousands of years of the Egyptians, this set, this metal that can't, you can't use it to make armor. You can't use it to build anything. 
it's really has no use outside of looking pretty, why it's still right. so valuable because the monkeys just saw them using gold, didn't see the value in it. And so they just put a high value on it and it's stuck with us forever. Cause who uses gold? The gods use gold, Kings use gold. And even though now it's, I'm this, the idea being that now we've, we've advanced enough. We actually understand the value for gold. It's technological and it's using it in our technology. That's an interesting theory. I enjoy that. But my last question to you, Jake, <laughs> what do you actually, I mean, one of those things this movie does kind of make you do is like, it does make you wonder like, what the hell is going on with the pyramid? Like who built that? How did they build this? Do you think it was just humans, you know, slave humans? Do you think there was something else going on? Like it doesn't, there is an element of mystery to those pyramids that kind of still exists to this day. And I do think this movie taps into that. And it's just like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how they made it. I don't know why there's all this, you know, they're arranged certain ways with, you know, the stars and whatnot. And they're, they're very nautical and stuff. And so there's just a lot of stuff going on with them that are kind of unexplained. And I just want to, well, what is your take on the pyramids? They also tend to be kind of like located near ley lines or like vortices, like, like yeah. electromagnetic points. So first of all, love this topic and i love i love i can entertain like all the craziest ideas that they were built by aliens that they were built by a previous uh civilization of humanity but the um this is one thing i've heard that i think makes a lot of sense and the two quick notes first of all they've recently done the water hypothesis so in, in ancient greece the sphinx was old they didn't know where it came from in ancient Greece. And so right. modern times have basically put that a little, the ancient Greek dark, dark ages were around 1200 BC. So they put those dark, so then they basically were like, okay, it must've been built during the dark ages or right before that, which is around 12 to 1500 BC, but which is from today over 3000 years ago. And they say it's around three to four or 5,000, six years old, whatever. They've done water hypothesis now and again, it's a hypothesis, but based on the water lines, it's older than that because the flood, like they can match the, by analyzing like the, the rocks, they can analyze the flood or like the water level. And it doesn't match what we know about the Nile in that area. And they, they say that it's actually 10,000 years old, which means we're like, it's not in proto history, which is like, oh, yeah. early, like early ancient Egypt, people are learning. Like that's putting us firmly in like hunter gatherer territory based on modern academia. Right. But the, yeah, yeah, I've always heard like we're closer now in time to like, you know, Jesus and the Romans than we are to those, like than those they were to the pyramids. So if you think about it that way, it's like, yeah, if it's 10,000 years ago, that's a while ago. And that's like, I mean, that, it, it kind of makes it even more mysterious where it's like, how far were they making this? So there's two more things about the, so the, the number one theory I actually believe, um, they didn't move stone. They created like they made cement and that's why it's all perfect. Cause they would basically create a mold, cast the mold and then take everything apart and move it. And that, that's a concept that's a very popular one. Um, and it's also, it would explain how they're able to do it. This is one other thing. They always talk about pulleys and cranes and wedges and all that that's bullshit. No archaeological evidence has ever like they, they, they do the, the archaeological digs and they have found like slave quarters and like they found they think it might be workers, not slaves. That's a whole other thing. Uh, but we'll get into right. that at another time. 
Uh, but the idea being that they found they found the sites like the, like they can find the sites of like whether it's in Mexico or ancient Egypt, they can find like the sites of the people who were there when it was being built. But they don't find all the evidence of all this like machinery that we would need to do it. So it would answer the lack of machinery or the lack of equipment. It would also explain why they could do it, how they could do it so easily and how they could do it with such precision. Um, and the other thing about the Sphinx is there is a hidden, uh, in one of the paws, there's a hidden temple. Like there's, there's a, there's a, there's an emptiness in one of the, the paws, like a hidden chamber. They say, I'm grand. I don't know. I haven't been there, but, um, this is the one thing about a lot of the ancient Egyptian stuff. Once, once the European powers, basically once Egypt had autonomy and the European powers weren't just poking around everywhere, they shot a lot of things down. But one last theory about the, uh, the pyramids is that they were um, power plants and that basically, first of all, they were all painted and at the tops, they had special headstones. Like they basically had, I think, golden, they had golden headstones or they were covered in gold at the very top. And the idea is that you would basically, I, this is what I don't know. I don't know if it was like, I've heard like the ideas that, that basically you'd have the entire community or city to come and like chanting, like that building could channel the energy, like spiritual energy of people. And almost like you could like light the building up. Like it would like, it, it, you, you people could power the building. This is where I'm not sure. Like this is where we're getting into like the X-Men age of apocalypse stuff. But the idea I heard was that those buildings weren't, they weren't just, think about it. That's a lot of energy to put into building a mausoleum. And it's the right. ideas that uh, one of the ideas is that they used to be functional. Those were the power stations. Um, also, one more thing, ziggurats, uh, which is basically a temple without that keystone. It would make sense as a landing space for a spaceship. I'm getting ahead of myself. The, the, the concept, what I actually think happened, they used it building cement. But the alien concept is that they used to be power stations. And that um, once the aliens left again, under the idea that they had everything they needed, that's where the kings moved in and the priests, because that's where the center of power is for the society. So to fill in the vacuum, that's where the kings live. And over time, it became they turned those into mausoleums and basically palaces as opposed to serving. That makes the sense. I will say, like, you know, for that time period, you know, it, like, um, Stonehenge is something that, like, I think is a lot more feasible for, like, people to make and kind of have a religious experience around or something like that. And so I do think there's something about the pyramids and, and the Sphinx, for that matter, that's just, like, it's such a large scale. And, I mean, e even if they are kind of doing that concrete type of thing, which which does make sense, but I think that's a good way to explain how it's possible for them to make it so perfect and, like, triangulated and all this kind of stuff. But, like, even still, if that's how they're doing it, it's just... It, there is something about it that just seems almost impossible to me, uh, especially for the time period. And so I think it'll, I mean, I don't, I don't know that we're ever going to like find all the answers to, to the pyramids and whatnot. Uh, it's definitely not going to happen on this podcast, but like the fact that we can't really explain it, uh, it's kind of like a Kubrickian thing where it's like, it's not a monolith, but like it is, it's like, we don't know where it came from. And, you know, humans have worshiped it for, for all this time. And so, the fact that you can't explain it, it's kind of what gives it power to me. 
And so I, I just enjoy the fact that like we can, like even in modern day, like sure, there's theories, we have ideas. I mean, but nobody's like 100% certain about anything. At most, maybe we're 50-50. And it's so funny. I think for some people, I think it goes both ways. I, I, obviously, the alien question is a loaded one and there are a ton of, ton, of, ton of stigma and other things going into it. But I think for some people, it's almost a, it's almost less frightening to think of someone else coming and having the power to do this as opposed to trying to understand how humans, especially the way, like there's always that recency bias. Every generation looks on everyone else, but it's hard for like a modern human to look back at 3000 years ago, knowing how what little they had and say, how the hell were they able to build this? Like I was in the temples at Angkor Wat and I saw those temples. Um, those are some of like the old, the ancient wonders I've seen. It defies like it, it's insane. Like these are massive temples, all stone. And then you go past that and it's the level of precision and artwork. And it's, right. again, it's almost more awe-inspiring. Like you almost want to think that it's the same. It's like the myth of giants. Every culture would say, oh, giants built it because they couldn't imagine a previous culture that was able to, to do it or because they couldn't imagine it. Um, and it's, it, there's some power in stone. Like there's like, it's something it's like, it lasts obviously. And it's just like, there's just, whether it's, there's so many other, I want to see the great wall. I want to see the pyramids of Giza. I didn't need to see some more of the Mexican temples, but yeah, there's just something very, I mean, powerful is the only word that comes to mind, but it's like, it just sticks. With it. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's either. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it, I mean, the fact that it makes you contemplate aliens, I think is an, an amazing thing. Uh, it's also just like, you're right. It's like, just to imagine human beings making these kinds of things back in those times, it's just hard. It's hard to, it's hard to believe. And so it's like, it's either like a, a real testament to the human power and our ingenuity, or it's like, I mean, again, it makes you think about other things outside of this planet. And so the fact that you can't like cross that stuff off, I think is what it makes it really cool. Yeah. It's, it's just a fun, I mean, we've been talking about this for almost an hour. It's just so much fun. And most right. of it's been on like the topics, like, Again, maybe Roland Emmerich made the right movie he wanted. It's it was a action ride, and we're still talking about all these big philosophical questions. It's, but no, it's yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun to think about, and even yeah, again, I love all the ideas. I entertain all of them, but it's even if it's just pouring cement, they did a hell of a job. <laughs> uh, do we want to do final scores? Yeah, yeah. But let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Uh, you want to go first, or shall I? I can go. Um, I'm gonna say. Um, it, again, if you're in the right mood and you just want to watch an entertaining movie and you kind of want to think about Egypt and the pyramids a little bit, I think this will be up your alley. If you're looking for a real, like, you know, critical dramatic movie, this isn't going to be your vote. Um, and so I think uh, uh, the acting, you know, I think Russell, um, Spader, and uh, Jay Davidson give enough good acting for me that it, it's it's like... I'm going to give it like a high six, like a 6.6, .6, I think, um, where it's like they give it up. The other, the actors of like the, the indigenous peoples really don't impress me. <laughs> like there's that one boy and then there's the woman Spader falls for and then there's kind of like the older man that's kind of like their religious leader or something. All of them are a little cringeworthy. And so that's probably where I deduct the most points. There's also some plot points that we talked about that don't make a total bunch of sense or anything like that, but for the ride that Emmerich puts you on, going through the Stargate, finding another world, you know, uh, incorporating kind of like Egyptian themes and motifs and kind of like putting a little 
alien spin on it. <laughs> I, I think it's like a pretty good job overall. So I'm landing at six point six. I'm re- I'm really work really close. I swear we don't share these scores before. Um, I, I pretty much agree with everything you said. I, I, the way I look at it, or it, the ride is fast enough where uh, I forget about the bad things. It gets me. It gets me to something good quick enough to forget about some of the bad. And like, if, yeah. where, where I'm going with that is every time I, I was like, every time the movie almost lost me, it drew me back in. When it's, they first opened the portal, the nighttime attack at the temple, and then just in the last like 30, 40 minutes is pretty much nonstop action as they're trying to race against the clock. Um, right. I looked at this as a, to me, this is like your college power for it. I'm like one of those really good teams. Like he's not, He's not scoring all the points. He might not be written up in the uh, in the pregame or postgame, but you're not winning without him. Like it's just like it's a it's a lunch pail player. That's where I'm going with. Like this is if you want you want to be satisfied in under two hours, this is your guy. Like you want you just want like a steak and potatoes meal. This is it. It's a fun, entertaining sci-fi film, and uh, it's not going to ask you to think too much. But it's got if you want it, it's got enough enough uh, strings to pull on that you can uh, have a fun conversation like we did. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think if you were like a fan of Independence Day and you needed another hit of that, like this is kind of the movie that you'd go to. Yeah, or if you have never read The Chariots of the Gods and are interested in that ancient ancient astronaut mythology, start with this. Just take a little depth. 6.5 and 6.6. Not bad. Not bad. Pretty good. I think we're, we're maybe spending too much time together. Our scores are going to eventually just be like right on this. Yeah. <laughs> we'll say it. We'll say it at the same time. Ooh, six point six. All right, I'm losing myself here. Seth, goodbye, my friend. Goodbye, people. Bye bye.